welcome to pairing episode 7, Macbeth by William Shakespeare. This is a very special episode with a very special guest star, my dear friend, Zach Labresco. As you can tell from listening to the episode, Zach and I are old friends and comrades who go way back. We had way too much fun recording this episode, and I apologize that a good portion of it is inside jokes and us just laughing at ourselves. We've worked on many, many projects together. We met about eight years ago, working on my acting thesis production in college, Richard III, and we went to the same acting training program, Shakespeare and Company in Lenox, Mass. We worked on a couple other theatrical productions after college, and as some of you may know, we are both voice actors on the audio drama series Wolf 359. And now, as of yesterday, you can hear both of us guest starring on the amazing podcast Ars Paradoxica. If, by some chance, you don't listen to Ars Paradoxica already, pause this recording right now and go subscribe. It's an amazing audio drama about time travel directed and produced by audio magician Misha Stanton. I'm so thrilled that I got to be a part of that amazing show, and even though Zach and I never recorded together for this particular one, I love that we got to collaborate on yet another project. Zach is just a delight to work with and to watch and or listen to. And recently, during a recording weekend for Wolf, I got to see him perform in The Humanist Project's Macbeth, wherein he played many roles, including possibly the best porter I've ever seen. So, last time I was in New York, I asked Zach to come record an episode with me about Shakespeare, and it seemed only appropriate to do the Scottish play. Sorry for my terrible Scottish accent. I'm so glad we did because Zach brings so many thoughtful and unusual insights to the play from an actor's perspective. We talk about our experiences as actors and students and some of our favorite teachers and collaborators. We discuss, we laugh, we may or may not get cursed by witches at one point. All in all, it's, it's great fun. This is one where the wine education is definitely secondary. The wine we were drinking was delicious, but I didn't necessarily pick it for Macbeth, so I did want to make a few recommendations for the type of wine that I think is a good pairing, or might be a good pairing, for the Scottish play. That is, of course, California Merlot. You'll find out why I think that in by listening to the episode. There's so many great options, but one of my favorites is the Cannonball Merlot from the Russian River Valley, usually somewhere between $15 and $20 a bottle, sometimes less, and I think it's a great and affordable example of the style. If by some chance you have a lot of money to spend on one bottle, I recommend the Mayakamas Merlot somewhere around $80 a bottle. They're an amazing winery in the Napa Valley, and sadly, most of their vineyards were destroyed in the recent fires. So go support them if you can. All of their wines are amazing. It's been a while since I included a listener's request section, but I will be including one in this episode, so stay tuned afterwards for an Easter egg. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoy the episode half as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you do enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, as that is how we get more people drinking, laughing, and being merry. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcasts, and check out our website at thepairingpodcast.com. Also, you should definitely follow Zach on Twitter, at Zach Labresco, to see what he's up to with The Humanist Project, the New York City-based theater company he's a member of, and to get updates on his upcoming podcast, History, My Dad, and Me which I personally can't wait for. Without further ado, here is episode seven, Macbeth. 
Check, check, you know, anything. You know, you just just check. keep it all in. Keep it in. <laughs> keep it in. Keep it in. Keep it ready. What do you see Ooh, that red? You don't right want to see red. Just like in much of life. It, just like in much of life. Just like in the play Macbeth. Yes. Oh my God, Zach. Do you want to talk about the play Macbeth with me? Yes. And that's talk what, about that's why. That's in fact why I'm here today. Oh. But hold on one second. <laughs> okay. I just need to do one. Just okay. one. Okay. Quick thing. <sighs> Ooh. Is, Ooh, that's nice. Isn't that good? Is that like nice and dry? It's very dry. Yes. I love dry wine. Yeah, How did you know? Too. I didn't. I had this hunch. I also like a dry wit. Yes, because you have a dry wit, and even though you are a sweet person, oh, you man. like a dry wine. <laughs> <laughs> you know that thing where it's like there are only three different ways for people to be on a radio program yeah, together, yeah. which is one is they just like both laugh at everything, and one is like they're in dire opposition, the other yes. is like, well anyway. Well, we're just going to be We're just going to laugh a lot. We're just going to be laughing. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, this is Zach Labresco, my dear friend, and protege, as I like to call you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we go we go way back. We do, we do. We, we went to college together. We're um, both cardinals. We are both cardinals. Slash West Tech. In the in the yeah in the in the collegiate sense, not in the church sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I quite qualify. I mean, no, I qualify no. for birthright, but not. Uh... Yeah, yeah, me too. Which did you see? They extended. I what think, did they extend the age to? I think like twenty nine or something. More or, time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because I'm 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 a little too old now for for old birthright. But now you're. But now I might be. You're back in. I'm, we should have a birthday back. together. We should. That would be my, so fun. I'm gonna go with my cousin too. I think. Are you? When are you planning on going? I don't. I don't have a plan. Okay, let's not record that anyway, because then we'll just have hordes of fans following us to Israel. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and uh, yeah. I was going to try to tie it back into Macbeth, yeah, but I yeah. thought, wait, tell me a little bit about this wine. Okay, so, so we're going to start, we're gonna start out talking about this wine. I didn't pick this wine because it relates to Macbeth, but just because I wanted to try it. Mm. So this is actually a Corsican wine, which is super awesome. Corsica, you know, I, I haven't had a ton of wines from Corsica, but this producer, whose name I'm going to butcher, Ives uh, Lechia or Lechia? I think Leccia. Sure. Um, I'm just going to pass on trying to pronounce it. It was Leccia. Vigneron. Il debute. Il debute. So I've actually had his rosé before, which is awesome. Yeah. And then I just saw this in the wine store, and I was like, I've never tried that. I definitely want to try that. Um, so I just looked it up a little bit, and it is 80% Grenache okay. and 20% Neoluchu which is uh, the Corsican version of Sangiovese. So so I know so little about wine. So yes. does that, when you just said those things, yes. does that mean each different wine is a kind of grape? Is that right? Or a blend of grapes. Or a blend of grapes. And so, oh. so what you just said was like a breakdown of like 80% of this kind of, kind of, or blend of grapes and 20% yep. of yep. this kind of. It is 80% of, of the cool. Grenache grape. And 20% of the Neoluchu or Sangiovese grape. So I've done this before on another episode, but I'm going to, I'm going to cheat 
and tie it in. Oh, and pretend, t- pretend, tie it in. I love the transition. Pretend that I uh, planned it. So as I've talked about before, um, Sangiovese, which is the grape of Chianti um, in Tuscany, the name Sangiovese literally means the blood of Jupiter. Mm-hmm. So... I always think of like bloody things when I'm when I'm drinking <laughs> Sangiovese. <laughs> so so just like Macbeth is right. a pretty bloody play. Where is Sangiovese in the world? So Sangiovese is a grape. So it's all over the place, but oh. it's definitely based mostly in Tuscany. In, okay. in that's where I, it's I, most I famous. I thought it sounded Italian, and as it we is. all know, yeah, Macbeth happens in Italy. <laughs> I want to see the, uh, the, so, you know, one of the things I love is a lot of people adapt Shakespeare plays to like the modern day or they put it in a different place to give it a different context. The Scottish play is one that's really hard to put anywhere (laughs) but Scotland. It's really easy to put kilts on and and really hard to put uh, anything else on. It's true. It's true. Um, Well, it's just hard to change the text of the play. Because it, Scotland is mentioned so much yeah. in the play. Though I did see the Patrick Stewart Macbeth at BAM like yeah. 10 or 15 years ago. Was that the one where they did the Banquo scene with the ghost and then without the ghost? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. Or it might have been the other order, but I, they did yes. it with and without. I'm, I'm almost the, positive the it act, was. Which, to say more explicitly, they had the actor playing. I'm looking at the microphone. Yeah, That's yeah. My scene well, you know, it actually it actually helps to look at the microphone because it helps to <laughs> To put the voice it. actually yeah, toward yeah. it as opposed to just bouncing off yeah, the walls. Exactly, at exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, um, I like that we still have this soundproofing thing. Yeah, the soundproofing here, just, just around, <laughs> now it's around my hand. <laughs> Um, hold on, I cut you off while you were making a perhaps a point. You were saying um, you were saying they cut Scotland out of the BAM. Oh, oh, Patrick oh! Stewart. They didn't cut it out, but it was very much uh, the flavor was very much as if it was in Soviet Russia. So, like their costumes were very like right. Soviet. I also saw that production. Looking. I remember that. Yeah. Um, so, the, how so many the, productions of Macbeth have you seen? Oh, jeez. See, I've seen the Patrick Stewart. I've seen the Zach Labresco. Um, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't believe you were in town for yeah, that. Oh, yeah, oh, no, that's it was cool. great. That's it was really great. Cool. We went to see. So Zach was just in a Oh, production. you came during like the whole podcast when everybody for the pods came. Yeah, yeah. And like Julia from Spirits was there. And Chris and DiMercurio. And Chris and DiMercurio from Ars Paradoxica. Name dropping. We're just totally name dropping. Oh, <laughs> I totally like hung out with them afterwards. Oh yeah, and we waited for you at the oh, bar I, for like I two totally hours. miscommunicated. <laughs> yeah. where, I thought you guys were going. Yeah. I didn't understand. Anyway. Yeah, anyway. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. So you've seen the Patrick Stewart totally, one. The Humanist Project the humanist, one. The Humanist Project one. Um, we did it in high school and I... No, I was too young. I was in middle school, and so I wasn't allowed to audition for it. Unbelievable. I know, right? I would have been a perfect... I I wanted to be Lady M, but really, I want to play one of the witches. Sure. At, at this point. Sure. I think, just think that you would be You could also so be a dope fun. Ross. A dope Ross? Ross. The Thane of oh, Ross. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. pretty yeah, great character. Totally, totally. Um, so anyway, so since we're talking about the play a little yes. bit... Yes. Um, and... Oh, should we... Are we going to talk about, like, give people a background to the play? Sure, let's just give a brief overview, if, um, just in case you haven't read or seen uh, Shakespeare's Macbeth. Thunder, lightning, fog! Sound and fury! <laughs> Sound and fury! <laughs> Welcome to Macbeth! Um, <laughs> uh, there are three witches, 
kind of talking shit without context. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Then a dude enters with the best friend. They're in war. So right. So the f- the first thing that happens is the witches come on, and then the bloody captain comes on and basically gives us a bunch of information about what's happening in war. And the current thing of Cawdor, oh, right. the current thing of Cawdor has been a traitor. And Duncan's like, okay, great. I'm going to go get that guy. Yo, Malcolm, pay attention. Like, I'm going to teach you how to be a leader, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Macbeth and Banquo enter. They're like, we've been fighting people all day. We're tired. Yeah. Um, the witches come in, give them this prophecy. Hail, all hail Macbeth, all hail Thane of Gloms, all hail Macbeth. Thane of Cawdor, all hail Macbeth, who shall be king hereafter. And uh, that, that sort and of that sparks. Up. And whether that whether that sparks sets in motion the events of the play, or whether they would have happened without that prophecy, I think right. we it's could about, write a bunch of theses about. Absolutely, absolutely. I, of course, we could write, we could, we could we could, write a lot of. We're very smart. We went to Le- to Wesley, and I was about to say lesbian. But. <laughs> <laughs> we went to Wellesley. <laughs> we went to Wellesley. Not that, that, that is not synonymous with. Uh, yeah. Lesbian. No, that is that is something we often get confused with. It's true. It's oh, true. Northeast. The... It's a W. Is yeah, it Wellesley? Ex- exactly. It Am may... I from Long Island? Yeah. So many people are like, "Oh, I went to Mount Holyoke, your sister school." I'm like, "No, you didn't." No, we're like or, the bastard yeah. cousin of Amherst and Williams. Yeah, we are. We're, we're, we're like, uh, excuse me. We're the redheaded ch- stepchild. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Yeah. Um. Because we're cardinals. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> bring it back. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> So that's, I mean, I think that's enough table setting. Yeah. Uh, basically, like, this sets in motion Macbeth writing to his wife, her getting the letter, sp- sparking him to to seize his fate, um, sparking them right. to seize their fate. Right. Uh, and Macbeth starts killing lots of people. Mm-hmm. Well, 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 he only kills, he doesn't kill many people, actually. No. Because he goes in and kills the king. Right. And frames at, the at grooms and then ladies. kills the grooms. But other than that, in war, he doesn't kill... Aside from in war, he really doesn't kill that many people. Right. He's having he the murderers didn't. do all this yeah, stuff. He's just like the, Richard. Right, he does, exactly. He's like, he's oh, like Richard, uh, like, Tiro, can you go do some stuff yeah, for me? Could you go do, could you, do you mind just go killing my brother? Thank you. <laughs> kill Thank my brother. <laughs> kill my uh, nephews, yes, the bastard yes. princes uh, of the tower. Yes, let's just lock him in the tower. Um, um, so, okay, so I'm just thinking so far about, like... I, part of what I was talking about with someone is, like, the difference between the experience of reading a play, because so often Shakespeare is introduced to people in, like, English class, and you're you're reading the play, and your, your teacher makes you, you know, casts you in different parts and makes you read it to engage you and all that stuff, right. um, which I loved, but not everybody does. And uh, so there's the experience of reading the play, and there's the experience of watching the play. And as we were saying different productions totally change. And so I was I was thinking like in terms of reading the play what I would want to drink while just, you know, sitting sitting down and reading Macbeth mm-hmm. and I think I would want something like really I don't know, I don't know, either something to offset how how like bloody and dark it is. Uh, like, you know, maybe like a nice uh, Sauvignon Blanc or something, you sure, know, sure, from sure. New Zealand. Sure, just sure, a little sure. fruity, like fruity thing. Just, <laughs> just to, you know, bring, bring, bring the mood up. Uh, or g- going to, going in the opposite direction. I actually really like this wine. This wine is 
exactly up my alley. Yeah, I love and, I love a good dry wine. It, yeah. It's really it's really good and it's pretty complex. Um, it's it's fairly here. I'm gonna show you a little trick. If you Ooh. hold it up to the light, you can sort of see that it's it's pretty it's pretty light in body. Yeah. Actually, it's not like super full. Is that that's how you discover the body, huh? Well, that's part of it. That's part of it. Oh, and you also, if you swirl it around in the glass, I'm not going to do too much. And then you look at the legs. It's the 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 wine dripping down the side there. Uh-huh. Ah, which really reminds me of the witches and their <laughs> cauldron. It's like, yeah. For yeah, sure. Totally. For um, sure, for sure, yep, for sure. Yep, it's total, total direct that's, connection. No, that's very cool. Yeah. Did, did you see any other productions of Macbeth beyond those two? I'm trying to think. I feel like I, I must have at some point. Right. I just can't. Did you? Remember. You were probably already graduated before our friend Paulie Lothar oh, played Macbeth in oh my, my junior god. year. Oh my god, that that sounds <laughs> Which amazing. Was cool. Yeah. What? Where else did I see it? I totally saw it somewhere else. I can't remember. I can't remember. But um, I definitely Lady Lady Macbeth is. A dream part for an actress. It, you think so? I, yeah, absolutely. It's one of the few, not few, but it's one of not too many female parts in Shakespeare that itself is written with great depth. With you know, there's a there's a character arc. There's she's there's, got a lot of agency in her situation. Absolutely, she may have the most agency. Oh, and I saw Sleep No More. I sure, mean, sure. that's I mean, that's loosely that's. A loose, yeah. uh, just just like a, my pairing is a loose connection <laughs> to. <laughs> um, you know, Lady Macbeth has a lot to do, but in terms of uh, raw raw lines, she's kind of in, and then she's out. Like yeah. by by the banquet scene, she's kind of she does some sleepwalking, but she's yeah. mostly out of the play at yeah. that point. Cause, exactly, because the play, like, there's so much rising action until. Um, until Macbeth is on the throne, and then he's like, he's doing the Richard thing of like yeah. still finding his, where are all my, where are all the people who might take my throne? Let right. me kill them before they right. get at me. It's a lot of paranoia. But but the second half of the play really belongs to uh, Malcolm Macduff in a lot of ways because like Macduff doesn't enter until the scene where we find Duncan dead. That's for, right. For That's such right. a main character, he's I know. out. I know. And it's really interesting. It, well, it's kind of like Richmond and Richard, too. Like, yeah, he's yeah. not really... A, he's definitely more fleshed out than Richmond, but... Right, but... Yeah. But, but I mean, Richmond kind of is a... In some ways, is a composite of Malcolm and Macduff. Because right. he's the successor and he's the rival. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so, so, I wanted to get into this... Uh, who is your favorite character oh, in Macbeth? Yeah. And I'm gonna list a bunch of characters right okay, now. Okay, that's, that's so we've fair. got we've got Macbeth. Mm-hmm. I don't know, no, no explanation necessary. Yeah. Lady Macbeth, uh, Thane of Ross, the truth teller, oh, yeah. the guy who's like Ross. always surviving, always showing up. Yeah, I know, and everybody forgets about him. Yeah, uh, Macduff. I don't think I need to say from his mother's one time. Right, right, you know but, but you might as well. Malcolm, personal favorite. Yeah, mine. The Porter. Ah, oh, the Porters. Banquo, Fleance. Yeah, <laughs> we put plants at the bottom, obviously. Yeah, and then there's like Lady Macduff, Lady Macduff, the old man who in our production was like the guy who runs the rib shack, where Macduff oh, and yeah, and uh, what's yeah, his face yeah. have the the bloody captain, mm-hmm. um, the three witches, mm-hmm. Hecate, often cut, often cut. But I really liked, I really liked that you guys brought Hecate back for Josie your Wilson, also haunting oh, yeah, with she, that with she, the the gorgeous voice, the, the moon song. Was yeah, it, yeah, that was moon dance. That was amazing. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so in terms of favorite characters, oh, and there's the witches. I said, I said, you the said, three you said, witches. okay, yeah. I'm come sorry, on, come on, sorry, play the tape back. Sorry, I've had too much wine already. Um, in terms, so we're thinking, we're talking about favorite character, or, yeah. or, fa- fa- what do you think is more interesting, favorite or moral center of the play character? That's a, we could do both. Well, we, we, we could do, do both. We, we could do, do like both. a little, what do you think, top three or top five? Where are we gonna go here? Top three, top, top three. three. Okay, yeah, we'll, make, yeah, we'll be really yeah. selective. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I, in many ways, I would argue that Lady Macbeth, in many ways, is the moral center of the pro- of the play. Explain. Um, because, well, she's really the one who, when she hears the prophecy is the one who drives the action. Okay. So so it's a question of, again, like how much of it is fate and how much of it is put into motion because she puts it into motion. And um, and the, the thing about, well, now I'm going to backtrack. The thing about <sighs> The thing about Macbeth is that he kind of has no moral compass. He kind of is just pointed wherever, like he, he doesn't really figure out what he what he stands for and what he wants i mean he just kind of goes with the flow i mean he's, his, he's existen- his existentialism doesn't really come in until act five like tomorrow exactly and tomorrow. Like exactly tomorrow and tomorrow like and tomorrow I, which is yeah. one of the greatest one of my favorite shakespeare speeches sure, sure. um and and that's that's kind of the thing with with macbeth that's so tragic i think is like always looking forward and mm. and realizing Sorry about the ambient noise. We're, we're... <laughs> I thought just Winston was popping back. Yeah, he no, probably keep, was. Keep on he that train was. of thought. I'm listening but yeah, to the train. But yeah, but you know, he's he's totally morally ambiguous. He's not like, he's not, well, this is something that I talked about because I wrote my thesis on uh, villains in Shakespeare. And I, I said that I did not think that Macbeth is a villain. I think he's a tragic hero who lost his way <laughs> um who lost his way and you know the play is about kind of a fallen hero rather than a rising villain you, so like you did you did richard iago and richard yeah i focused just on richard and iago but um what's his name aaron aaron the Moore. Yeah, yeah from uh titus is yeah. sort of he's he's much more villainous. He's he's less fully fleshed out than right. Richard Iago. He, he says like I've done a thousand bloody things and I would do a thousand more. Yeah, or maybe yeah. ten thousand, ten thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he seems. And so part of what's really great about Shakespeare's villains is that they are morally ambiguous to a certain extent. Um, Richard, because you do see his conflict. Iago, because you have no idea what he's actually thinking, and he's really scary. Well, I think he thinks Othello fucked his wife. Yes, but it, he takes it. The, I argue that he's kind of like a psychopath. Richard I, yeah, I Richard isn't a psychopath. You can you can think of he's he's a murderer, but he but you can trace his motivations a little more clearly and the, and they're a little more like he, like he really lets you into why he's doing what he's doing. Exactly. And he's doing it for a purpose as opposed to Iago who's just doing it to fuck shit up. So Iago's I kind think, of like the Joker. I think it's kind and... of I don't I mean I, I hear what you're saying. I don't totally buy that because I think That's a, fine. I think a lot of um a lot of people kind of ascribe to Iago that he is motiveless, which makes him the scariest. But I think there are like passing over him for Cassio is another thing that strikes his pride. Yeah, yeah, and, that's and his, true. And his relationship. I mean, um, Amelia. I feel so bad for Amelia because like Amelia is actually one of my favorites. She's an awesome parts, character, but and, but she yeah. her giving Iago the handkerchief totally 
fucks everything yeah, up. Yeah, it's true. It's really true. It's not really, that she can really know true. at that point, but at that point, like, how do you trust your husband who's a total dickwad? Yeah, yeah, it's um, true. Oh, are we explicit or not? Are you gonna? Oh yeah, we're explicit. Oh, we're yeah, yeah. so we're, explicit. We're, that little e is gonna pop up. Oh yeah. Okay, great. Don't you worry. Um, Don't you worry. Wait. So, so moral side so anyway, of the place. So you had Lady Macbeth. Lady Macbeth. And then you were kind of making the case against Macbeth having. Well, so I was making the case. I guess I what I'm sort of thinking is that, but that's kind of the point of the play, is that there isn't, I think the ambiguity is kind of the scary moral center of the play, mm-hmm. is that there isn't a clear, because no one, I mean, you could say like, at least for the first half, first three acts, Banquo is kind of... Um, at least seemingly a little bit more mm-hmm. more noble than than Macbeth. Um, but he's also got you know he's got some aspirations as well. He he's he'll never be king himself, but he'll his his sons his, his sons will be kings or whatever the the exact phrasing is. Um, it's it's really interesting because I, I I think in many ways it's about it's about fate and you know will and and what what you do with the information that you're given. Right. I like, I like the thing you're saying about the ambiguity and mm-hmm. there's kind of like, an, um, there's kind of like a, what is fated, what is chaos, chaos, what do we have agency over thing, which I think Lady Macbeth definitely encompasses. Yeah. I do think the play is about like, we are all going to the same place. Yeah. And in that way, like the porter, the porter is saying what Shakespeare wants you to get. Yes. I, like in that way, like he's, the porter's the moral center to me in the respect of like, oh, you think it matters what you, yeah, like, you think it matters what you do here? Yeah, it doesn't. You're yeah. all going to hell. Yeah. Um, and he does that, and then the person who's the best at playing the game is Ross. Because mm-hmm. Ross is like, when Ross and Macduff have their talk with mm-hmm. at the old man's in our production, Rib Shack, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, they have this like tiny exchange, which is so important, which is uh, Macduff says, Macduff says something to Ross like, are you going to the coronation? Mm-hmm. Um, or Ross asks Macduff, like, are you going to the coronation? And Macduff says, like, no, I'll to my house. Right. And and Ross says, I will thither. I'm going yeah. to the coronation. Yeah, yeah. Like, and he's like, you're making your choice right now. Right. I'm going to be seen where I need right. to be seen. Right, And you're not. And be then no- note that I'm taking note of that like right. and i like you right. i wish i wish you'd be smarter about that right. yeah 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 um, yeah he's he's more of the politician and and we, everything he says is so measured in terms of the yeah. kind of information he gives out when because yeah. when he enters in the malcolm mcduff ross scene that four mm-hmm. he enters and knows that mcduff's family's all been killed and right. he and he knows that like he tried to warn mcduff earlier yeah um and Macduff asks him, he's like, how are my fam? How's my family? He's like, well, when I left them. <laughs> very Ooh, politic, yeah, very, right? Very, very, very politic. And Malcolm's, yeah. Malcolm's like, Malcolm doesn't speak during that section. He's like, this is bad. Yeah, like, yeah. I just I just convinced this guy. I just yeah. found out that this guy was on my team, Macduff. Yeah. Like, Malcolm's like, I just found out Macduff is on my team. I'm going to go to England. I have these 10,000 guys. Yeah. It's good to have this guy. And I want Ross as well. It's like, great, so now we're going to have to deal with this, and then we get to go to England. Yeah. And then we get yeah, to go yeah, back yeah, to Scotland. Yeah. Um, so so I, I feel like Macduff is trying to do the right thing all the time, mm-hmm. and the fact that his family gets killed is kind of is kind of Shakespeare's way of saying, through the source text as well, but like Shakespeare's way of saying, like, if you try to do the right thing, 
and you're not smart about it, yeah. you're getting fucked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's about diplomacy and being smart. Right. It's and... a, Yeah, it's, a, it's about, like, putting being where you need to be yeah. as opposed to doing what you yeah. what you think that's you really, should do. That's really cool and I'm really glad I'm really glad to talk to you about it because I never really thought about Ross that way before right. but you're totally right. Like and and he's not necessarily the most memorable character from the play but one of the most important such such of, a such a glue guy and like yeah. even even when he first enters like how he's giving information to um Who's he giving? He's giving information to Duncan when he comes in yeah. about what's about what's going on, um, mm-hmm. and Duncan's like, "Great, like we're gonna name Macbeth Thane of Cawdor." Uh-huh. And Ross doesn't say anything, uh-huh. and and Ross will often enter, give information in a very politic way, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then like not say anything, take it all in, be everywhere that news happens, and <laughs> right. take it all in and yeah. go to the next place. Yeah. Um, like one of the most successful, because like I feel like Buckingham is kind of one of those characters, yeah. But, but Buckingham yeah, yeah, yeah. when he tries to get out, like. Then loses his head. Exactly. Um, yeah. And Buckingham Buckingham has like a little bit more more to do. He's as he's, well he's, in, he's like a, he's a little more um, He's more like if Banquo had been had stayed exactly, the number two. Because exactly, he's like more of an yeah. official number two. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to think like about ambiguity and how that relates to wine and i'm thinking about i'm bringing it back i'm bringing it back but so ambiguity so like for example when we're blind tasting um in uh, if you're training to be a psalm you have to blind taste and there are certain wines that are really really tricky to identify and for me one that's really hard for me to identify is california merlot it's really, it's really random. But for me, no matter when I taste it, I always think it's something else. I always think it's like uh, a cab, a Cabernet Sauvignon from California, or yeah. I think it's uh, Merlot from France, or something. Like I always get something a little bit off, or like I think it's a Malbec, or for you know, for whatever reason, Merlot is a really interesting grape to me because it doesn't, it it's kind of a shapeshifter, mm-hmm. and there, it doesn't have a lot of defining qualities that you can be like oh yeah that's that whereas a lot of other grapes have some sort of like tasting note or something that is like oh yeah i got that that's totally that grape merlot is kind of just like it can be whatever so i feel like merlot is a good grape for Macbeth. kind of like a like a shapeshifter like like trees moving closer to you or something oh yeah Um, i was hoping you were gonna go that way (laughs) uh uh, do you feel like any other grapes are in that family of kind of of being being harder to place sure, than other grapes? Sure, yeah, definitely. I would. I mean, I would say I'm trying to think off the top of my head. There's there's just there's like like in Italy there's thousands of grapes. So like, the... which is why people sometimes refer to Italy as land of a thousand grapes. Do they? No, no. no. I'm just oh, stuff. Well, let's start it. <laughs> <laughs> keep it in. Yeah, keep it in. Keep it in. Keep it in. Right. Audio, audio engineer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I'm the Emma argument. later. <laughs> yeah. Future Emma. <laughs> Keep Future Emma. Up. Remember, bet everything on the <laughs> Wait, damn it, go back. <laughs> oh my god. Um so uh but something okay, here's another here's another thing that's like really confusing. It's more of a confusion thing than a than an ambiguity thing. But so the um the word Montepulciano, mm-hmm. also Italian. But there Italian is... Italian, land of a thousand grapes. Exactly. 
Bring it back. Bring it back. Um, so Montepulciano is both a grape and a place, uh, and um, they don't coincide. So Montepulciano, the place... <laughs> That makes a lot yeah, of right. <laughs> is in Tuscany and is usually made from Sangiovese, which is one of the grapes in this wine. Um, Montepulciano, the grape, usually comes from this little place called Abruzzo. So that, so that kind of like I know, know Abruzzo uh, on the east side. Yeah, east totally. side of Italy. You know, east side. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. So uh, Montepulciano is kind of like the everyday drinking wine of of that part of Italy, and so. So that's not exactly the same like thing about ambiguity, but it is sort of deception. So like if you see Montepulciano on a label, it could be a grape or it could be a name depending on how how it or a place. I'm sorry, depending on where it is, which is kind of like you know the deception of Burnham Wood <laughs> moving forward. My uh, my dad's family is from Casal Bordino and Pescara, and the mm. and pr- pretty close to there on the east mm-hmm, side like mm-hmm. on the is that called the mediterranean side of italy that light just go off oh that's creepy we're being haunted i guess it's on a timer whoa smart light heck it whoa. was here it's, it's the like witches. Sudden, suddenly blood just like shoots <laughs> through the wall it's like we're in a hotel this is a terrible place no. for a horror movie um yeah, what were we talking about? We were, ta- we were, we were talking about Burnham Wood. We were throwing it back to... I like so, talking about my dad's heritage. Have, yeah, cool. love, let's keep talking about your dad's heritage. Yeah, so he's Italian, you yeah, know. Yeah. This is a land of a thousand lakes. Just that, that basically sums it up. Land of a thousand land lakes? Land of a thousand grapes, or sorry. Or a thousand grapes. <laughs> Take it out. Take it out. <laughs> thousand lakes and a thousand grapes. <laughs> that was the riff, obviously. Yeah, uh, obviously. Explaining the jokes. Always totally. a good idea. Always good. Always yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, so we can talk more about your dad's heritage, but just one thing while I'm thinking about it. So I was looking at this this wine um, by Eva's Lechia. I think I'm saying that wrong, but um, so the last name Lechia apparently means oak in Corsican. I don't, or I don't, I don't actually know what language it might be because Corsica, I think they speak French in Corsica, but it, I think it might be their own kind of dialect dialect somewhere between france and italy mm. um but apparently so that means oak which is kind of like you know trees sure made from oak moving forward my best like, shall vanquished be till great burnham wood to high dunstan hill shall come against him exactly classic right? classic but again speaking of deception um i was looking this up and apparently it's ironic that his last name means oak this winemaker mm-hmm because he never actually uses oak to make his wines. So, you know, you can age wine in oak barrels or stainless steel or amphora or clay or something or cement even. Um, And so, again, speaking of deception, if you were like Corsican and you looked at this label and you were like, whatever his first name is, oak, you're like, oh, great. This is going to be a big oaky, big tannic wine. And it's it's not. It's a little bit lighter. It's a little bit brighter. It's a little bit. It's... What what's the rationale behind the containers people put their wine in, or is it is it what's available? Is it the price, or is it like certain grapes pair well with certain kinds of containers? It's it's a combination of all of those things. Okay. So um, and probably more things. And probably more things. Yeah. So so oak in general, you can have new oak. So oak that's. Um, you know, being used for the first time. Fresh off the tree. Fresh off the tree, which usually lends itself to a really kind of toasty, vanilla kind of quality, usually higher tannin in the wine if it's a red wine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of 
it, California is pretty well known for using a lot of oak in their wines. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily all of them do, but that's what they're sort of like the, the reputation is. Mm -hmm. And then there's used oak, which will lend a little bit more texture, a little bit of that kind of quality to it, but not quite as much, a little more subtle. And then there's stainless steel, usually more often used for a white wine, which will yield a kind of like brighter, lighter, drier, usually white wine or red wine. And then other things which are just neutral aging vessels. So basically, if you if you want the grapes to just be the grapes and you don't want to impart anything else on there, then you use a neutral aging vessel. Oak often gets a bad reputation because sometimes winemakers will cheat to like, they'll use like just really bad grapes, really bad fruit, and just throw oak chips in there to try to make it seem like it's more interesting. Mm -hmm. And then they'll and then they'll charge more money, even though it's kind of for for me personally at this point like if a wine is too oaky I, I can't drink it it's just like it tastes like vanilla in my mouth and I can't I can't do it um but so I I prefer more a style like this which is lighter brighter would you like a refill by the I way? would love one yeah. yeah it's good it's good it's stuff. Really nice. here we'll put it in the soundproofing thanks yeah oh, that's now nobody will be able <laughs> yeah, to hear yeah, that yeah. delicious pour <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, oh, so, so dry, so, so good, so refreshing. Um, so, do do you know what container? Can you tell by drinking it what container this was in, or I not necessarily because this is a red wine. Ah, that ba that baby sommelier mm. sniff. I saw it with my own eyes. There's enough spiciness to this wine that, like, I could see it as being aged in 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 like neutral oak barrels yeah. that just gives it like a little bit more interesting flavor and texture right i don't think it was aged in oak though because i looked it up but this particular wine is a little ambiguous <laughs> um, my, um just bringing it all back yeah my uh my uncle my dad's brother uh, -huh. uh makes his own wine cool and uh he has a big wine press that they brought over from italy that is awesome. I gotta ask him. I think he he gets all his grapes from California. Probably, yeah. Um, the, a, a lot of winemakers in in America that are trying to make wine in places that aren't like. Um, oh, can you hear? Can you hear the honking? Oh, I love New York. I miss New York. New York. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, a lot of winemakers like in Texas. Texas is a big growing winemaking country yeah. and they get a lot of their grapes from California yeah. Um, yeah. to try to learn how to do it. Cause grapes do grow really well. Now I'm going to have so many great questions to ask him I now know. that I have this foundational See, information about exactly. red wine. And maybe, maybe just maybe he'll ask you about Macbeth. Oh yeah. All right. <laughs> now that we've talked, we've talked about the wine a little bit. Um, I want to bring it back. Let's bring it back to bring it bed. back to the Scottish play. So, to the Scottish play. So we, were, <laughs> Winston and I were in the wine store, and he's like, "So what's a good Scottish wine?" And I was like, "There, there is no Scottish wine." That's, no, that's why, why they drink scotch. That's why they drink scotch. <laughs> I know. I almost bought some scotch because. Um, the, yeah, but we're at the beginning of the pairing podcast. Yes. Like, maybe we come back later. We'll yeah, be we'll move all on. Those. We'll move on. We'll move on to the to the scotch pairing. <laughs> Um, what, what did you want to bring it back to on Macbeth? I don't know. So let's so so just to, to tie it all in. So so Burnham Wood. So basically, what happens is um, they... <laughs> we've got like one part plot summary, <laughs> four parts. Who's the moral center of the yeah, play? Yeah, 
I mean, and then I one mean, more part plot summary. I mean, the, the plot summary is 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 secondary I think, to the, right, to the right. moral yeah. question. So, so oh, we, I did want to say something. This is this is a callback to way early. I mean, it never hurts to have a callback. It never Am hurts right? to have yeah. a callback. As actors, we really like getting callbacks. <laughs> we don't mind getting a call- <laughs> too many callbacks. No parts. We would yeah. like to talk to you about yeah, your yes, intentions. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, you were talking earlier about uh, the difference between reading a play and hearing a play and seeing a play. Yes. And I was thinking about, um, I think hearing a play is so vastly superior to reading one, especially Shakespeare's I plays. Um, I agree. People used to colloquially, colloquially say to each other in Elizabethan England, um, I, I, if I try to do an Elizabethan <laughs> accent, I should do a Southern accent. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, is yeah, what the dialect, yeah, yeah. So, ah. Uh, <laughs> Are you going to hear the play today? Yeah. They would say, like, yeah, are you going to hear the play, play, not are you going to see the play? Yeah. Um, and I remember in ninth grade, we did, we read Romeo and Juliet in English mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. And uh, my teacher was somebody who also had directed a lot of the plays at my school. Mm-hmm. And he gave us the opening scene between Samson and Gregory. And our assignment was to go home and translate the scene. Obviously, as you probably know, right. the scene is... Like two guys talking about their penises. Uh-huh. They're talking about like just yeah. just dick jokes. Like yeah, totally. I will bring her to the wall. Like I will take the maiden heads of right. all these women. Right. Do you, you know, do you prick your thumb at me? Do you, do you, do you bite your or thumb? Or do at you, me, you sir? bite your thumb at me, sir? No, but, but I bite do, my don't thumb, they say, sir. Do they do they say prick in there? Prick. I don't, I don't know if they say prick. I mean, they they yeah. might they might say prick. But uh, but my point in saying that is just like. Well, first of all, topical. Hashtag, yeah, yeah. hashtag locker room talk. Hashtag totally. not my locker room. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's also <laughs> yes. the Women's March in it New York City today. Yay, this will come yay. out like a few months from now, probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's we'll in see. the can, we'll maybe. See. It's in the can. It, um, could, it could come out in a few months. It could come out next week. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But anyway, so so was, as a ninth grader, it, first of all, I found it extremely alarming that, that uh, Shakespeare characters were talking about their penises. But secondly, it was just a window into the how the comprehension changes when there's context. Because mm-hmm. then when people started reading it aloud, and the teacher started pointing out to us, like, do you guys see how this is all, like, people talking about their privates? Yeah. It was just another... It, it, so I think it's just so vastly superior, because even in a bad production, as long as the people know what they're saying, it's going to give you, the listener, a little window into what they're saying. Especially exactly. If, especially if you're not experienced with the language. My, uh... On the Women's March, I was talking with my mom, and some of her friends and 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 people about seeing Hamilton, mm. a, a cultural, a real cultural which zeitgeist. Which is basically to him, the, which obviously the, the Shakespeare go, of today. Which yeah, which yeah. it is. It's, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. so. I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda, hashtag Wesley and alum, uh, is is this guy who's so perfectly suited to do this because dramaturgically he so yeah. understands the history of hip hop in addition to the history right. of musical theater. Right. But for people who haven't like listened to a lot of hip hop. Mm-hmm. The speed at which people are speaking is just something they're not accustomed to. Exactly. So if you get hung up on "Can I understand every word?" you're not going to follow it. Right. But if you, but if you can, if you can release that and start focusing on what is the point of what's going on, or like what is what is the thought of what's happening? Exactly. You can catch every thought. You just exactly. might not appreciate like the utter brilliance of what he's saying in this in the specificity that you want to. Right. As, um, as it's difficult to do, in, like I. I think the great thing about a lot of um, Shakespeare plays I see, and especially working with my guy, Andrew Borthwick-Leslie, who directed the production of Macbeth, the, the production of Macbeth I worked on, is that uh, when people are really present and thinking the mm-hmm. thoughts, like, I hear lines I've heard a thousand times new. 
Absolutely. And I'm going to bring that back to um, something that our Shakespeare professor in college, David Jaffe, said. The bear. The bear. <laughs> Exit pursued by a Jaffe. Um, <laughs> so many in jokes. So many in jokes. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, he, he would say, um, you know, the audience is going to hear a third of what you say and they're going to understand a third of what they hear. So what they hear better be damned important. Oh, I and thought it was, I thought the end of that was, so you better know what the fuck you're saying. Either way works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Because, totally. because I think, I think they're connected. I forget what he said exactly, yeah, yeah. but, um, but it's connected. And you know, as, as actors performing in the play, you have to know every single thing. And if you really know it, then you will convey it. And that's, um, that's yeah. the beauty of hearing a play because since, since this is the audio world, um, <laughs> hearing a play versus reading a play. So like if you're reading a play, sure, you can drink a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, but that's not going to be, that's not going to get you the full experience. You, you really need like a Sancerre or a, or a Puy Fumé. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, no, no, no. That that was again a, a little bit of a stretch. But I think I think we're on the, we're on the same page yeah. in terms of. Yeah, yeah, though I don't know if those. I feel like those statistics are ungenerous to an audience. I think so too. Um, I think, I, think so I, I, too. I, get, I get what I get what he's saying, and I love that guy to death, obviously. But uh, but I think audiences, I think audiences actually do understand. I I. I feel a little bit betrayed think, as an audience member when people don't think I'll understand. If if you're listening actively, yes, you right. will you will understand. Even it's, if you don't necessarily, I remember going to see Midsummer Night's Dream when I was like five years old with my mom, and, and every like every other line, I would lean over to her and be like, "What did they say? What does that mean? What's going on?" And she was like, "Shut up." <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like. It, it, I was trying to understand and as you know, and it's hard when you're a kid to like go see a Shakespeare play and, and to understand everything because you don't, you don't have the vocabulary because you have to, you have to have a vocabulary and make the connections right. with Shakespeare. And I mean, and it's, it's on the piece of art, especially live art to keep you engaged. That, that is one of their jobs. Yeah. Because people are coming in from whatever kind of day they're having yeah. to share this one space together and be part of a feedback loop together. So then it's on them to keep you engaged and then it's on you to, to like be open to being engaged. Exactly. I think that's um, all it takes. And that's hard. Like, like you, I'm sure you were an extremely precocious five-year-old, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, but, uh, but a five-year-old, like, yeah, like they will stay engaged as exactly as long as that thing merits staying engaged. Exactly. And then they will come back. Like, exactly. Like I just did this, um, this, show for young audiences and you knew exactly how the young people were feeling yeah. all the time yeah because they're laughing they're crying they're talking when yeah when they're not engaged kids aren't <laughs> going to be polite you know they're, no, gonna, they're gonna feel how they they're feel. gonna feel how they feel which is yeah. the great thing about kids yeah, yeah. and um but yeah i i, I like what which you're which is saying. the great thing about uh kids and macbeth until they all are killed exactly. except for flayance except for flayance and malcolm and donovan oh yeah, that, yeah. that's right i mean they're donovan doesn't really like do anything yeah but but, but but he's still there he's around yeah, yeah. cool yeah, Flance gets away. Um, Just a little tie-in there yeah, for you. A little. <laughs> yeah. We really understand how the how to, how to plan comes together. It's really tough. Totally. Totally. Um, free will. Um, so. Oh, we didn't mention so many characters for, before, like Seton. 
Oh, we didn't I mention, love Seton. And the messengers. Yeah. There are a lot of there, fun. There's there's a lot of fun. Angus, Lennox. Oh yeah, Lennox. Yeah. There's so there's so many good Lady characters. Lady Macbeth's gentlewoman. Oh man. The doctor. Ugh. We're gonna have the to do, pig. We're gonna have to do. We could do a deeper dive. We're gonna have someday. to do Macbeth t- part two. Yeah. I think we will. But I just wanted to. I just wanted to uh, end on one thing that you just said, yeah. which I think is really great, which is that, you know, going to see a play or hear a play is about. Uh, it's a two-way street. It's the the actors giving giving the audience everything they've got, and it's about the audience being open to receiving it. And um, and it becomes in a way a dialogue, and that's that's the beautiful thing. That's what I love about theater. It's it, the most exciting theater is uh, it, it happens when that happens. I yeah, think. I, and I think especially. I mean, I love podcasts and I love movies, but especially with all the tech that is so available to us in a way that, like, I know for me, I can kind of go sink into. A place I can go sink into, like my my house, and do my errands, and kind of like mm-hmm. run through my life, experiencing culture a lot individually, and that can be great. But theater is this place, um, except in experiment, more experimental types of theater, where people are sharing space and part of the feedback loop that actually affects the performance. And I think that's increasingly special in an in an increasingly isolating technological age. Absolutely. Um, so this was uh, this was wine. And this was wine. Very thoughts around Macbeth. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, thank you so much for coming. Thank, Cheers. Thank you. And uh, here's your bowl of wine. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, Zach. Zach played. Um... <laughs> this is a, this is a postscript. <laughs> this is a postscript. Um, so when I played Richard the Third with my dear friend Ben Vigas, we were simultaneously Richard the Third for for our uh, thesis. Which is how we met. And Emma was great. Yep. And Zach played Catesby. I was gonna say I was gonna say the other one. Uh, was the Radcliffe. one that? Yeah, Ratcliffe. That Ratcliffe. That was the our dear friend Dakota yeah, Gardner. Yeah. Right. Oh, so many shout outs. Yeah. Um. But so. If you Catesby, like baseball, check yeah, him out on the Cut Forecast. That's right. That's, that's, well, that's right. an ad. We gotta yeah, get them yeah, to pay for got, that. Yeah, we gotta oh take that God. out. Take can that we, out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they'll sponsor this? this is a sponsor. No, no, no. They don't have it. <laughs> um. So so. But anyway, Zach Zach played my servant. Uh. Catesby. Sir William Catesby. Sir William Catesby, who at one point I asked. Or rather, instructed, yelled at to bring me a bowl of wine. Truer words were never spoken. Life imitates art, people. Except I brought the wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's your podcast. Yeah, there we go. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As a reward, here is your listener's request Easter egg, which, you guessed it, is pairings for Easter. Thank you at Soap by Thea for sending this request along, and I'm going to take it one step further by also including pairings for Passover. Growing up in a half-Jewish, half-Catholic, all-guilt family, part of what I loved is that I got to take part in both of these traditions. I'm not religious at all, but I loved my family satyrs and going Easter egg hunting, so here we go. So starting with Passover, since that falls first this year, the tradition, at least in my family, is that we sit around a table and tell the story of the Jews' freedom from bondage in Egypt. Everybody gets to read passages from the Haggadah, which is the book that tells this story, sing songs, throw plastic frogs when we get to the plagues, eat matzo ball soup, brisket, harosa, and drink four glasses of Manischewitz, which will always have a soft spot in my heart. In my family, we don't keep kosher, so while we'd have the sweet, sweet Manischewitz for the blessings, we'd also drink regular non-kosher wine with the meal. 
So if you're not Jewish and you get invited to a Seder and you're asked to bring the wine, be sure to check if they care if it's kosher or not. There is some really good kosher wine out there, but it's a little harder to find than non-kosher wine. So unless the hosts care, I would go with non-kosher. For me, it's all about the brisket. As with any food pairing, it depends on how you prepare the brisket, but in general, most Psalms would recommend a bigger, fuller-bodied red wine like Bordeaux or Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot. I personally would go with a French Coteron or Chateauneuf de Pop, or maybe a Brunello or a Barolo or just a Lange Nebbiolo from Italy. For Easter, my family's tradition was a little less involved. Sometimes we would go to Easter services, mostly just for the music and my family, but for the most part, after the egg hunt and trying not to gorge myself on peeps, it was all about brunch. Brunch is my favorite meal ever, and if it were up to me, I would eat brunch every day. I love getting a mix of sweet and savory. I'm totally that person who gets the combo plate with the pancakes and the eggs and the bacon, and that can actually sort of be a challenge to pair wine with. There are, of course, brunch cocktails like mimosas and bellinis, which are delicious, but if you want a pure wine, I'd have to go with rosé. To me, Easter is the perfect time to drink rosé because spring is the perfect time to drink rosé. With rosé, you want to drink it young, and around springtime is when the current vintage is released, so right now you're looking for 2017 vintage rosés, though many 2016s are still tasting delicious. Contrary to popular belief, most rosé these days is dry, but they can range from bone dry to juicy, making them perfect and versatile brunch pairings. Also, I don't think that Easter dinner food is necessarily as consistent from family to family as Passover food, so it's nice to have that flexibility. However, for the traditional Easter ham, Pinot Noir, especially from Oregon, is my favorite, as well as Beaujolais from France. That's it for now. I hope you all have terrific holiday weekends, whether you're celebrating or not. I hope you drink well, eat well, experience great art, and get to spend time with family and or friends. At the very least, go get some brunch. Brunch is for everyone. Pairing was created, produced, hosted, and edited by Emma Scherzarko with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. I am your host, Emma Scherzarko, and tonight's guest was Zach Labresco. If you'd like more information, links, and clarifications on what we talked about this episode, please visit the show notes and our blog on our website at thepairingpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. Feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website or on any social media platform. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time, cheers. Cheers.